Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we disassemble a film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into one-minute segments and then examine it in obsessive and occasionally hilarious detail. I'm Kyle Olson from the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society podcast. Hey, and I'm Rob Cabosco and Kyle. Yes, sir. You've seen, um, there's some great movies from the 80s, uh, Tootsie, Out of Africa, uh, the 90s, The Firm. Do you know what these <laughs> movies all have in common? I don't. Okay, so they were all directed by Sidney Pollack, who was uh, an American film late, director. The late, great Sidney Pollack. The late, great Sidney Pollack. He passed away, sadly, in 2008. However, even though he passed away in 2008, his last film did not get released until 10 years later, in Ooh. 2018. This movie is a concert film titled Amazing Grace, which features Aretha Franklin recording her 1972 live album of the same name. He was the director of this. It was filmed in 1972. Its release was delayed for 46 years due to a younger director, Sidney Pollack, forgetting to use clapperboards during production. And oh. they found it impossible to edit the film for 46 <laughs> years until nonlinear editing became obviously the rage. We've talked about this in a previous minute. Final Cut Pro was one of those where you could now splice it all together. No joke. This film got delayed for that long because they didn't use clapperboards. They had all this footage and they didn't know what went with what. So they couldn't do anything about it. Um, what am I talking about? The clapperboard. It's a device used in filmmaking and video production. It helps to synchronize the picture and sound and to designate the mark of various scenes and takes as they are filmed. Um, it is operated by a clapper loader, which is the official term for the person who, who uh, gets it ready. Um, it goes all the way back to the silent era. It was used uh, the the slate part of it, which is the part that information is written. That's called the slate. That was used during the advent of silent film to, again, mark footage. So they knew what they were working with when they after they had filmed it. And then there was a thing called a clapper that was used to give that audible cue so that your audio and video could be synced. That was invented by a person by the name of F.W. Thring uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And then at some point, it is believed in the early part of the 20th century, uh, the clapboard, as we know it today, where the sticks and the slate were merged together. Uh, that was done by a pioneer sound engineer of the name Leon M. Leon. <laughs> and that's how we got the, the clapperboard. It, it plays a curious role in the minute that we are about to discuss. That's true. And if you are interested in hearing some Aretha Franklin music that you, in a way, you've never heard it before, I would recommend something that I stumbled across a couple of years back. Uh, she put, obviously, uh, this is not new. So what they, what they did is they took the original studio recordings of one of her albums and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra oh. played along with it. So it's an album called A Brand New Me. So it's original Aretha Franklin vocals and a full orchestral sound behind her. It's amazing. Oh. Like you've never heard songs like this before when you like you're used to hearing think the same way and then you have violins starting yes. it out but like it's it's really great so even if you even if you don't purchase it yeah you check it out on spotify or wherever that's where i discovered it um the Phil royal Philharmonic has done a bunch of these kind of albums but like they're the one of the Aretha franklin is par excellence so i would definitely check it out i would say just as good the one they did with the beach boys 
Oh, I have not heard that. That it's, one's amazing. I say it's a, it's a little far from Christmas now, but they also did one uh, with Elvis Christmas music as yes. well. So I mean, like they're they're definitely worth checking out. So they, oh, they bring new life to old things in the same way that we're doing right here. <laughs> yes. Ten year old film because <laughs> we're hit minute seventy four of Iron Man two from two thousand and ten, directed by just Mister John Favreau. Um, Tony Stark is digging into Howard's hope chest. Yeah. Pretty much. So, I it's, I don't know exactly why all of this stuff was given to Shield because a lot of it seems like just random garbage. But I, I guess the this is this is what the, he wanted done with it. So well, or it was taken. I guess it's after possible. his death, and maybe it this seems was... like a lot of random mementos. Like it's, yeah, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we see Tony is then going through this, trying to figure out what's what's important in this that's going to help him with his current problem. Because oh yeah, by the way, hey guys, remember the fact that Tony Stark is dying? <laughs> that's still happening. <laughs> seems like it's been forever since we talked yeah, about that, that but <laughs> right. it's, it's been a long since we actually even seen Iron Man in the Iron Man movie. But regardless, now he's uh, he's in the robe that we talked about when he had yep. his conversation with Nick Fury. He's now moved the suit. The this crazy lack of a better term is now in his workshop in his normal workshop can and now i couldn't i was trying to figure out by the background where exactly he is in the workshop oh can you he, can you could you figure it out yeah he's Cause, um because you can actually see um he's basically at the sort of table and chairs that is in the corner of the workshop where the kitchenette is on one side we talked about that okay. where he, he had a whole bunch of yeah. stuff the armadillos on the top yeah that's where and, he hung he hung the poster right. of of oh. iron man Exactly the the hope inspired. The shepherd fairy came down. And he, right. Yeah, yeah. And then he's right. He's sitting right in front of where the jukebox is, and some other things that are alongside that part where you okay. walk by. So right. like to his, so to Tony's left would be his desk where with Jarvis where the interface is, and Correct. then the cars. Correct. Okay, so like yeah. he's looking. So against to that wall. So like if the if if he had uh, taken the the projector he's going to use in here one and and slightly slightly to the left it would have been on one of the iron man armors is that right uh yes i think so because it looks like he what he did is he put the the screen up that's literally yeah. uh right in front of the kitchenette the the refrigerator okay so like next to the next to the kitchenette between right. the kitchenette and the hall of armors that is that is my understanding yes Okay. Okay. I, just, I, I was trying to look at the background to try and figure out geographically where he is. Yeah, where he is in the workshop, that. right? Uh, so as he's digging through the trunk, there's there's a ton of stuff that's in here. Um, so he's going through. Hey, first thing he pulls out is the blueprints. Now we've seen this before. Uh, another copy of these were in the hands of Anton Venko over in Russia, and so now these these are Howard's versions of those. So as it gets as we can see a little closer, he sees both Howard Stark and Anton Venko's names on it, but a couple other names show up on there. Uh, William J. Law, Sharon Davis, and Wald Hatfield. Those are all people who worked in the art or construction departments on Iron Man 2. Nice. So, nice little Easter egg to, to those people. Uh, so, as he sets that aside, we can see he's now spreading stuff around the floor, like to look through. Uh, we see another uh, product placement. Cha-ching! For Kodak. So, as he, the, he looks through the film, there's a couple different uh, things of film, and one of them has the big Kodak logo on top of it. Uh, as we as as he lifts out the paper, so we see the the it's the Dallas record we've seen before of about the uh, defection and that stuff. We uh, right side you can see uh, that turns out that uh, maybe Howard Stark was a little nostalgic because he has a copy of Captain America number one, first published in May, March of 1941. Uh, so obviously he, they, we know that comic books are a part of the MCU. That they, they actually, because right. we see later on in Captain America, the First Avenger, 
him with the comic books. Like we see, there actually are like comic books of him, and that is something that is a Marvel tradition because in the Marvel comic universe, there is a Marvel comics that puts out comics of the adventures of the heroes of the universe. <laughs> so various characters, uh, Iron Man, Thor, have all gone to visit Marvel comics inside of a Marvel comic. So. <laughs> Aurora Boris, the snake eats its own tail. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. Yeah. Um, so this is this is very much in, in keeping with Marvel brand. Um, so as we stuff laid out uh, on the side, we see there's actually a map of Antarctica. Yeah, I don't know what that's a reference to. Why would Howard Stark be in Antarctica? Because it's it was my understanding that Captain America's plane went down in the north, not the south. I. Because he took thing. off from right. Germany right. and went across the top to get to New York. So right. he would have crashed like in the Greenland area. Right. Okay. So I like the Antarctica thing. I was oh. like, they've never done anything with Antarctica as far as I know. Uh, I always, either this is just, there is a map, but maybe there is something there that there is a project yet to be discussed. I guess so. Maybe there's yeah. a, a, a hidden Stark Industries thing from the 1940s or 50s. Right. <laughs> Right. Okay. So there you go. There you go, future screenwriters. You've got some stuff to to work There's with. There's something there. to play with there. Uh, yeah. So then we we see that Howard is actually that uh, Tony's actually watching Howard on the screen. So he has put some of the film in and he's watching some stuff. We saw the edited version of this at the very beginning of the movie, but now we're seeing longer versions of it and outtakes and that sort of stuff. And so one of the things is clap on clap off it's the clapper um so the the clapper as, as rob talked about at the beginning is used to synchronize vision and sound so like you, you, when it goes down then they know that's where they can set the sound because they have a a clap mark we actually still do it uh when we're editing now because we just if you do it a clap it shows up in the sound bar when you see the sound go when we're editing the podcast a big thing a big spike you'll know oh something happened there usually when we make a mistake or we're going to start something or to synchronize we'll say one two three clap right. uh, or if you mess something up you hit a clap so that, that when the editor knows they can look at it real quick and go oh there's something right there because it's something beyond above and beyond so if i really want to screw up rob's editing i can be like ah <laughs> whoa because you'll see the spike and he'll go and look at it it turns out it'll be nothing so haha future rob take Great. that thanks <laughs> so on the on the on the uh Clapper itself. There are two names. One is significant, and the other one does not seem to be. Uh, so the two names are Barney Balkoff and Johnny Libatique. Now, I don't know what the significance of Barney Balkoff is. I could not find any reference to it. There was a real Barney Balkoff. He was yeah. born in Russia, moved to New York, and died in, I think it was like the, the 40s. But I don't know what connection that would have to anything in this. So I don't know if that's a, just a weird Easter egg by somebody who was on set that day or the prop designer or, or something, because it was handwritten. So it was intentional choice. Um, the other name, uh, Johnny Libatique, is a reference to, of course, the cinematographer of Iron Man, which is Matthew Libatique. So I would not be surprised if this was someone that either like a, um, a relative of his, like a father or a grandfather and stuff. Um, so, uh, as we see, uh, Tony is sitting there looking through a, a notebook of his father's, and there's a bunch of scientific stuff in Matthew. I couldn't really find anything significant in there. I couldn't understand most of what was going on in there. Yeah, it was really, if you really try to read it, I mean, it reads like scientific jargon mm -hmm. with some basic words thrown in. Like, I mean, I, really, there was nothing that I don't think is hidden, but... and No, if, there's, if there's a scientist or mathematician who, like, sees that either, right. like, this is something... 
uh, either like, yeah, this makes sense, or no, this is complete gibberish. I would like to know. So, right. you know, there's plenty of ways to contact us, so reach out. Um, uh, in the process, there's also another s- slight Iron Man 2 mystery, and it's a mystery to us, because we're trying to figure out what device is Tony Stark using in this scene? Right. Because it's obviously not the Stark phone, because we've seen the Stark phone looks like. He's got a, you know, a clear glass phone that can take over military servers and, and do all this other stuff, and even can contact the Illuminati, but here he's using some sort of handheld pocket PC with a stylus. Uh, so we I, we talked about this, and I, I went even on the forums and even on Reddit, people were talking about trying to figure out what this thing is, and they think it was a compact iPack, which was a pocket PC tablet you know, personal device at, at the time. Um, but you you thought that it was actually a Palm Pilot. Well, okay, so in looking at it again, at first glance, I thought it was a Palm Pilot because it had yeah. the general shape. They had um, the stylus looked very similar uh, the whole way. The screen, you can almost see on the screen. It has uh, on Palm Pilots. They were famous for a portion of the lower part of the screen was actually not a screen. It was a taptic area for graffiti. It was called mm. and it was the way in which you would write on on a Palm Pilot. Um, and I'm talking about these. These are like the Palm Pilot pros. I forget they were like a, they upgraded them to like a metal case. Very sleek, by the way, for those of you who lived through the 90s. You mm-hmm. probably know what we're talking about. For those of you who did yeah. not, this was the day before smartphones and the time of Newtons and all this other stuff. These were the beginnings of the personal digital assistants that yes. look no more different than probably your solar powered calculator today. <laughs> I mean, literally, they're just a- another step away from that. Now, with that said, the Palm Pilots, their cases, I believe most of them connected on the left side. So you had an option. There was like an accessory area where like the stylus would be on one side and then this removable flap could be on the other side. There's the other issue is they only had a they had basically five buttons on the bottom. Okay, I can't believe we're getting this much into the weeds on this, but we have to. (laughs) So there's five. They had five buttons, two buttons on each side and then like a bigger like paddle button, almost like something off a game controller in the middle. Hmm. What he's using here is not any of that. It definitely looks more like the compact iPack which was this basically compact who's compact. They have since been subsumed into uh, Hewlett Packard. Hewlett Packard now owns them, but basically yeah. compact tried to, to, to take that and tike it up a few notches where it had a color screen. It was kind of the same form factor. It ran a version of windows, which I don't even remember what version of windows they ran, but yeah, they either. were crazy. Um, IPAC, they were basically trying to steal a little bit of the thunder of the iMac at the time, which yeah. had, been revealed yeah, and, and, and the ipod i believe the ipod even the ipod touch i think was out by this point oh no this is still the 90s no this is just the, oh, you're you're doing the 90s okay oh yeah so, so this is the imac filming the movie but okay yeah oh oh yeah absolutely right no so i mean this was this was when apple had co- caused a total distortion in the universe of technology mm-hmm. and right and everybody was trying to follow up so late 90s early 2000s so the compact looks more like this because it has a similar stylus it has what looks to be a much bigger middle button but I got to tell you this, there's real weird inconsistencies when you zoom in that makes you think this is some sort of a hybrid product between the two, which I can't imagine they would take the time to make. Right. <laughs> because there's yeah. no reason to do 
that. No, because because if it was a Stark thing, it would be much more high tech than having him yes. with this gray metal plastic thing with an actual stylus thing. He has Jarvis. There is no reason he needs to have any type of stylus interface at all. He could just dictate what he's saying to Jarvis, and Jarvis can do whatever he needs to with now, it. Now, you would. Now that's something we should definitely discuss. Like, why would you do this when you have all this other stuff? Still. The right. question remains, even from back then, where is Jarvis? Well, well, okay. Here's my theory on this. Because he is trying as a good engineer, who's also an artist, okay? Mm-hmm. He's trying to put himself, sort of basically downgrade himself in terms of his perspective as he's looking at all this information. And as a result of that, I think he's purposely like went through his junk drawer, found this old device. And he's trying to use this device to work on these algorithms or these formulas or anything else to kind of put him in that older mindset. Sometimes artists do that. You know, they use mm-hmm. older materials, older tools. People will tend to do that. Some people write novels in crayon. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Uh, callback. Callback. Um, no, I mean, I think that's what he's doing here. I think the reason why he's using this pro- this particular device is, is just he's trying to put himself in the frame of mind to best figure out what the riddle is. You know, the riddle of his heart. <laughs> I had to stick that in somewhere. Lord. The mystery uh, continues. So, yeah, so, so yeah, if you had this device or if you recognize the device, let us know because uh, like even the internet doesn't seem to know exactly what this is. So right. uh, I'm putting on the list of questions. I'm going to ask John Favreau when he comes on the show. Jeez. <laughs> oh, number one. never going to happen. What? Yeah. Number one. Like, yeah. Mr. Favreau, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I really only have one question for you. What? <laughs> What's Tony using in the scene no, where okay. he's going through his father's stuff? Yeah. And there'll be silence. And then uh-huh. click. He's like, I, I, I don't know. That was, that was, okay. Well, can you explain the riddle of his heart? Yeah. Hello. Hello. It's like, uh, we're losing your connection. I don't know what's oh, happening. We're done. Okay, so so speaking of uh, bad connections, uh, we're going to li- listen to uh, some words of wisdom from Howard Stark. Uh, never the most communicative of people, at least to his son, uh, but here he is. We're, we're going to um, see a voice from the past. So he, we're, as Tony is watching this, is looking through all the notes, trying to, you know, gestalt this whole thing, you know, smoosh it all together and come up with something. We hear Howard saying, everything is achievable through technology. Better living, robust health. And for the first time in human history, the possibility of world peace. Now, that's very interesting because all those things are stuff that Tony has been sort of talking about. Right. Uh, world, he has privatized world peace. Like, remember that thing? But also, the first thing he says is better living and robust health, which are two things Tony currently does not have. Exactly. Uh, so he says, I'm Howard Stark. Everything you'll need for the future can be found right here. Clank. Did you hear that? That was a major plot point being dropped right in the middle of the floor. <laughs> Everything you need for the future can be found right here, right here. as he gestures to the map. On the car. Oh, right I thought you were talking here. about the carpet. Oh. No, no, not okay. the carpet. The, the, the big map that's behind him. City of the future. City of tomorrow. City of... And he's like sort of, uh, what was what were we calling this? I don't remember. And so then he, you see him go back to one. I'm Howard Stark and everything. <laughs> so like you, as you, as you see multiple sort of takes of this. Um, so as, as he's going back and forth, watching this and then looking through the notes, uh, you see Tony flip to, uh, like a later page and it's flipped up. We see sort of a, a, a cube within a cube 
Uh, unless I'm mistaken, Rob, I believe that's the Tesseract. Oh, I think you're. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Wow. Because that was one. Of, he was studying that, you know, back in the in the times. It seems like that that you know, in the when he had the limited time that he actually had access to it, he was making notes about it. Well, you know, one thing one thing we didn't mention is on the clapperboard, the date is September fifteenth, nineteen seventy three. Right. We know that a lot of things happened in 1973. We saw that in a later movie. Yeah, true. Oh. the Yes. I think what threw me was just the pen and ink drawing. And I was like, oh, it's a cube and a cube. But wait a minute. Uh, Awesome. Which uh, would eventually become known as the Space Stone. uh, That eventually will end up in multiple gauntlets. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yes. but we'll get to all of that as time goes time. by. Uh, yeah, so so that's the that's the, that is a uh, as as Howard Stark is uh, starting his his thing again. I'm Howard Stark. Everything that is where I mean it comes to an end. Um, so we'll we'll and when we pick up in '75, we'll continue on with uh, the rest of the the outtakes and things as Tony's trying to figure out uh, what it is, what what is the riddle of his heart and how can he solve it. It's really it's really contained in the riddle of his dad. That's that's true. <laughs> How do we not say that before? That's the title of this minute: the riddle of his dad. Nah. Oh, I thought it was the hope chest of Howard Stark. But... Oh, that <laughs> Howard's hope chest. How, yeah, ah! How, yeah, Howard's hope chest. I like that. I'll tell you what, Kyle. You know, when you think yeah. about, uh, we talked about obviously the history of clapperboards and how important sure. they are to yeah. organization, to production. Very important. Uh, but you know what it's really about is aligning the two different things and nothing probably aligns what we're about and what people are looking for than Instagram. <laughs> as, as I was putting that together, I said to myself, <laughs> that isn't even, what does Instagram have doesn't to do with a lot? You know what? Yeah, it does. Because here's the deal. If you, you don't want to get into a big discussion with people. If you want to do that, you go to Facebook. If if you want to get into real deeper, deeper stuff, that's what Discord is for. Hey, here's what Instagram's for. Instagram is just about aligning your need to to connect with something very simple and visual with things that you like. And you can do that if you follow us on Instagram. It's Instagram. It's images. It's Twitter with it's it's Twitter imaging. Just go to Instagram and search for at the next reel and you'll find us there. Follow and enjoy. Make sure you're back here at 75 as we see some wacky Howard Stark outtakes. You're not going to want to miss it. Nuff said. Bye. Bye.